Hi, everybody, and thanks for joining our weekly podcast. I'm Robin Lewis, founder and CEO of The Robin Report, which, by the way, we keep reminding everybody, it is not just a daily report, okay? We really believe what we have is a knowledge platform from which we communicate thought leadership on various strategic topics. Um, yes, through the reports, but also these podcasts. And we do webinars throughout the year. And at some point, maybe we'll have a live event. And along with our chief strategist, Shelley Cohan, also, by the way, a professor at FIT and Syracuse University, we welcome you to our conversation on the topic of Abercrombie and Fitch dying a decade ago on a hot rocket back to cool. <laughs> it's so, so true. Yeah, so yeah, ama amazing story here. Uh, and Shelly, you know, this is really fascinating about one of the hottest youth brands in modern history, beginning in the early 90s, under CEO Michael Jeffries, who repositioned the brand that was founded in 1892, which, by the way, was, uh, you know, once a sporting goods favorite of Ernest Hemingway. I mean, that's how far back this goes. So Jeffries positioned it as casual wear brand, as a casual wear brand, to appeal specifically and only, by the way, and truly only for the young, cool, and sexy consumer. And we'll be revisiting that in a moment. And it took off, Shelley, as you remember, like a rocket. And indeed, the young, cool, and sexy, and only them, by the way, would be in lines around the block waiting to get into their stores. Absolutely incredible marketing. <clears throat> um, but then the brand started to slip into decline around 2012 and then reported during that period, 11 straight quarters of losses, which of course led up to Jeffrey's departure in, in 2014. And Shelley, it's instructional uh, to point to what many experts uh, believe to be perhaps the biggest single reason for the brand's crash. Um, before we talk about the attempt uh, to reboot it. Um, and then um, we'll lead into our current years as a new cool brand. <coughs> Excuse me. I wrote an article in 2013 titled Exclusive or Exclusionary. And this was triggered by a quote of what Mike Jeffries said to Salon Magazine in 2006. And listen to this quote. He said, quote, in every school, there are the cool and popular kids. And then there are the not so cool kids. Candidly, we go after the cool kids. We go after the attractive all-American kid with a great attitude and a lot of friends a lot of people don't belong in our clothes and they can't belong. Are we exclusionary? Absolutely. 
end of quote. Shelly, can you believe <laughs> No, it's kind I mean, of shocking yeah. to hear it, to be honest. I know, I know. And we're going to get to how things have changed. I know you got a whole, whole bunch of stuff on that. Anyway, and I want to understand that article. Um, um, it's it, like the Arab Spring, this quote is being a clarion call to action among disgruntled, a disgruntled group of consumers and their supporters, a group that Abercrombie and Fitch does not want to be seen wearing their brand, namely consumers who need to wear larger sizes, which ANF simply does not make or offer in their stores. Oh my gosh, Robin, uh, I, yeah. I remember the black backlash really well. And it really, you know, across the whole country, it was picked up by all the news media. And there were several protests and boycotting groups outside the Abercrombie and Fitch stores all yeah. over the country. So one had to ask the question, you know, is there something different going on that caused that level of outrage in the minds and behavior of those consumers in 2013 when you compare it to when the quote was actually came out, which is in 2006? Right. You know, I, I don't know, maybe the quote was like tucked away in that tiny little magazine. So it didn't get a lot of uh, hits or whatever. But in 2013, it literally got blasted across the nation, social yep. media, and just really uh, ginned up even further virally through social networks, blogs, Twitter, YouTube. So I think, you know, uh, the backlash in 2013 on Jeffrey's quote, and indeed, their whole marketing focus on only cool, young, and sexy was really just the beginning of this sensitizing and more inclusive culture. So, and this really inviting and often protecting the participation of all, those even on the outlier fringes of society. It's just at a time when Jeffries was putting it out there with no reticence. It was great for the not cool and sexy people, all the other people to jump in on it and in fact, accelerate the movement. You know, I wonder if, if ANF really sparked this big cultural change and, and really mm -hmm. sparked that whole movement. Who, I, who knows? Um, anyway, Shelley, I must say this though, that Jeffries was, one of the first and most successful lifestyle brand visionaries, actually, when he positioned the brand almost a half a century ago. Um, and the stores were truly a lifestyle experience. As was, yeah, you remember that. And as was their sexy catalog. I mean, some people even felt the catalog was uh, tipping a little bit over into, you know, porn. <laughs> Um, anyway, the stores and the catalogs were obviously for a very clearly defined young, cool, and sexy customer um, that Jeffrey's focused on with fierce discipline, um, and he did not diverge uh, from that position. Yeah, I mean, well, let's kind of take a step back. So Jeffrey's was CEO from the 90s through 2014. And let's reflect back in that early 2000s when the company was only doing 3.3 billion. And of course it was hit by the great recession like everyone else yeah. was. 
But then if you fast forward to 2011, 2012, the company has had its biggest sales, 4.1 billion. And in 2012, they actually did 4.5 billion. So yeah. what, what was happening is this whole cool kids theme culture became the brand ethos. And as you say, brilliant marketing at the time, but it was not by any means an exclusive environment, something that employees and customers are looking for today. But at that time, the sociocultural attitudes back in the first decade of the 21st century supported this kind of exclusionary mentality. You yeah. remember, Robin, these nightclub themed stores for the thin, <laughs> white, beautiful people. Yeah. This, this whole pop culture took hold. You know, remember the shirtless greeters? Again, very exclusionary. And managers saying that they are actually looking to hire young, good looking men and women. But when they started firing people because they were not good looking enough, or wearing headscarves, that really became the downfall from a cultural and consumer acceptance perspective. Yeah, yeah. You know, the culture at that time was really all about this very exclusive and aspirational approach. And, you know, just consider the incredible growth of Victoria's Secret, Shelley. Right. <laughs> um, and, and of course, that was during uh, really roughly the same time. I mean, Victoria's Secret went uh, from 2012, when their sales were at 6.5 billion, they went to their, you know, pinnacle of its heyday in 2016, when their sales hit almost 8 billion. Wow. And guess what? It's, you know, it was those beautiful thin models projecting out a perfect image, um, you know, in intimate apparel that many many women strive to achieve. And of course, that was during that period. And Shelly, uh, speaking of Victoria's Secret, um, <laughs> you remember who hired Mike Jeffries as a CEO of a &F? None other than Les Wexner. Ah, incredible. That, make, that little, makes sense. Yeah. Um, L Brands uh, bought a &F back in 1988. And of course, obviously, one can draw a lot of parallel lines between Victoria's Secret and ANF uh, during that period in terms of exclusive culture and marketing strategies. So, you know, professionally and strategically, this was a marketing 101 business model that did succeed until it didn't. So, Shelley, what's been going on over the last decade? Um, who? who has been at the helm attempt, attempting to save the brand by uh, repositioning. So why don't you bring us up to date a little bit? Right, Robin. Yes, it worked until it didn't, which was about 2014. So sales started to erode in 2013 with a drop from that all-time high of 4.5 billion to 4.1 billion. And then in 2014, another drop down to 3.7 billion. Wow. Yeah. And we also had a changing employment workforce, a shift in consumer attitudes took over the next few years. Then the lawsuits came, which actually started in 2002. Remember mm. the inappropriate graphic t-shirts with racist depictions of Asian stereotypes? Oh, He's yeah. called these massive outcries as it should. 
Um, and, you know, there were a lot of protests of the brand and Abercrombie and Fitch, and they ended up having to pull the product off the shelves. Oh, yeah. Then in 2003, employees filed a class action lawsuit against Abercrombie, claiming that the company either refused to hire or fired them on the basis of their race. So Abercrombie settled that lawsuit for about $40 million. And they also signed a consent saying that it's going to change its hiring practices and it's going to hire a chief diversity officer. Of course, all of that while admitting no wrongdoing. Right. And then, and then Robin, the lawsuits kept coming. So two individuals, just two <clears throat> people, filed a lawsuit regarding hour, hourly workers having to pay clothes to wear to work, which is considered a uniform. So um, I practice HR over in California, which is one of the states where if it's illegal to tell employees what to wear, it wow. becomes a uniform unless you buy it for them. So these two employees um, filed a lawsuit. And what ended up happening is that that two-person lawsuit turned into a class action lawsuit, including over 250,000 employees. Wow. So <laughs> they had to settle that one for $25 million. And then, of course, I know you'll remember this one. This was a landmark case back in 2008 that found its way all the way to the Supreme Court. Oh, right. An Abercrombie and Fitch store told a qualified candidate they could not hire her because she wore a black headscarf, which the company said, quote unquote, violated its policy that salespeople could not wear caps at work. So you know what? Eloff, Eloof, that's the Muslim job applicant who wore a hijab, filed a religious discrimination law school suit. But this time, instead of settling Abercrombie and Fitch, let this ride all the way up to the Supreme Court. And guess what happened in 2015? No big surprise. Supreme Court ruled eight to one against Abercrombie. Oh, yeah. I remember the countless stream of lawsuits and, you know, really unethical work practices. Uh, you know, he, Jeffries had to have an amazing amount of arrogance to believe that he could get through all of this kind of untouched. He kept, kept, you know, he was reticent to change. Also, during uh, that time around 2014, right before he left, same store sales had declined for 11 straight quarters. And this, of course, is partly due to the public outcry and lawsuit fallouts but also consumer preferences were shifting and big logo hoodies, for example, were out. Right. So, you know, and that, I, you remember this is, that's when fast fashion was really starting to grow. Um, that was 2014 to 2019 was absolutely excessive growth for Zara and H&M. And mall shopping by teens was in decline at, at that period. It's right. amazing that Jeffries didn't see all that coming. Um, so the board uh, gets Jeffries uh, kicked out and they send him on his way with an exit package. Listen to this, worth $27 million. Wow. Yeah, thank you, Mike. <laughs> I wonder what that would be today, 27 translated <laughs> into today's dollars. Anyway. A lot of money. <laughs> yeah, a lot of money. 
for him actually driving the brand into the ground. But of course, they made a lot of money in the way up. So yeah, when he became CEO, it was a $50 million company with 36 stores and no digital business. When he left, it was a $4 billion powerhouse brand. Yes, in steep decline with a flurry of controversy. So who ran the company? <laughs> well, from the time he left until a new CEO was named yeah. three years later in 2017. So he left in 2014, a new CEO came in 2017. The board chairman, Arthur Martinez, and three oh, yeah. senior executives ran the company until they named a replacement. So, and it's, it's also important to note that in 2015, a year after Jeffries left, gone were the greeters, the shirtless males that were in front of the store, workplace policies were revamped, store lighting became, became less of a nightclub, no more pulsating music, also gone were the bare torso marketing, shopping bags and posters, and thankfully, the cologne smell throughout the store. <laughs> That was the worst for me. Unbelievable. Oh. Yeah. But the company reported by the, through November 2016, the company then had 15 straight declines in quarterly sales. So just really, you know, missing the mark with its target market, missing the mark with product assortments. And actually a lot of people thought the brand was on this permanent decline. But in February of 2017, Robin, Abercrombie and Fitch announced that Fran Horowitz, who at that time was right. president and chief merchandise officer, she's, you remember, she's the one that led the turn, turnaround of Hollister. Yep. Right. She was then promoted to CEO. And I got to tell you, Robin, the brand is making a big comeback and yeah. really demonstrated amazing results coming out of 2021 and 2022. I'll share some of that in a minute. They've updated their culture to be more inclusive. They've, they're revamping the stores. More than half the stores now have a new format. You and I talked about new formats as a big trend for retailers. They're certainly doing that. They've expanded its size range. It's made its pricing more approachable. And really, under the leadership of Horowitz, they're exercising extreme financial control. You and I have talked about you have to have the financial control Yep. And by, by the end of 2022, this is a fun fact, their inventory was down 4% the last year. You and I talked about in our last yeah. podcast about how all these companies have these huge overstocks of inventory, not Abercrombie and Fitch. So, yeah. you know, obviously the company had similar issues that we saw with other retailers in terms of higher product costs, especially cotton. They have a lot of cotton goods supply chain entanglements, higher logistics costs, but they're really, really doing a great job managing all these macroeconomic challenges really well. Not to mention the adverse impact of foreign exchange rates on its business. So 25% of their business is international. That's and, a lot. That's a, I didn't realize that. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot, right? So that really yeah. impacts some of those numbers. But most importantly, the product assortments are resonating with younger generations. You know, Robin, Abercrombie and Fitch, you won't believe it, has become a fan favorite with my students. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, this is their new wow. favorite retailer. Wow. Yeah. And you got real live young people. 
<laughs> I know. And I think that I really think that this will be one of the most impressive brand turnarounds in our industry. Um, they're investing in data analytics. They're rehauling the merchandising systems. They're investing in digital infrastructure. So their digital business uh, now is about 44% of total sales, which is tremendous. Um, and the women's business achieved its highest quarterly sales in brand history in Q4. And they had the best ever year for women's bottoms. My students love their jeans. I, I'm going to go buy myself a pair. Well, honestly. you know what? Maybe maybe a woman CEO is exactly what they need. <laughs> really. I mean, obviously, she's she's really got, you know, the merchandise is right. I mean, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the outlook for Abercrombie and Fitch is positive. The company goal is to be over four billion by 2025. So that's in two short years. But it really plans to hit five billion shortly thereafter, really focused on having a 10% or higher operating margin. So they have this um, strategy they call always forward plan. That's the name of their strategy. And it's really about driving brand growth, executing this digital evolution and operating financial discipline. So in 2022, mm -hmm. sales were flat, but expenses were in line, profits were positive. And in physical 2021, get this, Robin, they had their highest profits in 10 years. Wow. So they've exceeded their pre-pandemic sales in both 2021 and 2022. And one of my favorite numbers, as you know, Robin, yep. get this, return on assets yeah. in 2021 was over 8%. That's just yeah. unbelievable. Incredible. Yeah. So Abercrombie sales were up 11%. Hollister's you know, down 9%. They're working on kind of rebranding that. The U.S. market was up 4% and international was down low double digits. But here's the good news, Robin. Liquidity has been very positive for the past five quarters. In 2022, they ended with 866 million in liquidity. And we wow. know from the fallout of the pandemic, this is really a major metric when we talk about long-term growth. So. Yeah. Abercrombie and Fitch was mentioned as one of the best workplaces, as noted by Fortune's certified great places to work list. And they also received a perfect score on Human Rights Campaign's 2022 Corporate Quality Index and was designated as one of the best places to work for LGBTQ plus equality. And SAS company named Abercrombie and Fitch to their Brands That Matter list. And Robin, I'm telling you, they do matter. Yeah. Fran Horowitz is the real deal. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I have to tip my head a little bit to Arthur Martinez. I think that interim period before Fran took over, I think uh, Arthur did a lot of strategic thinking and I think he did a lot to stabilize the brand uh, so that when, when a Fran Horowitz takes over as CEO, uh, she's not starting uh, from the bottom of a pit somewhere. <laughs> so you got to give him a little credit. Uh, he's a very smart guy. I've <clears throat> known him for a long time. Anyway, I also have to say, Shelly, that um, the number of once hot, you know, and or cool brands that start sinking when their young core consumers, you know, age and move on. Brands like The Gap, uh, Juicy Couture, 
can main, name a lot more and many others, um, those very seldom get turned around. So it's true. Yeah. And, and this is this is one that that that's, you know, and Fran's doing a great job. And by the way, as a wrap up, um, our very own content contributor on all things Gen Z, whose name is Jasmine Glasheen, and you know, oh, her, I love we? her. She's yeah. awesome. Yeah, she is terrific. And um, so I got to give her a shout out. Anyway, she wrote an article posted on January 23rd title Great article. Yeah, yeah, terrific. The, it, the title was Gen Z nostalgia is accelerating colon categories to watch. And by the way, all, all of our listeners uh, should really read that article it was posted on January 23rd. <clears throat> she says, retailers once forgotten are coming for your market share. <laughs> um, and then she goes on to say, just take a look at Abercrombie and Fitch. The brand struggled to find its footing once millennials grew up to realize that the company's whitewashed old money aesthetic wasn't helpful to all of the marginalized people who weren't represented. Queer, differently abled, curvy, native, Asian, black, non-binary, non-cookie cutter models were few and far between. Since then, however, the brand has made a 360 degree turn towards inclusive sizing and a strong and high sales number uh, since 2014. Amen, Jasmine, great article. It really was a great article. And by the way, for our listeners, there's a 2022 documentary on Netflix called White Hot, The Rise and Fall of Abercrombie and Fitch. It's a great watch. Yeah. It's actually kind of shocking to watch now, but you and I, we both lived through it 10 years ago. It's hard to believe. Um, yeah. But it's a great brand story for young people awesome. taking over businesses and you know trying to position their brands. Yeah, Def absolutely. And for our listeners, you can find more of our podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Buzzsprout at therobinreport.com, of course. Look for us on YouTube where we broadcast our podcast as well. And make sure you follow us on social media. Link in with us for the latest thoughts about the industry. And I want to thank all of you again. And um, by the way, if you've got any uh, ideas that you would like uh, Shelly and I to cover in one of these podcasts, you know, events, um, just send me an email. And it's, it's, it's robin at therobinreport.com. Thank you again very much.